0: As I said earlier, my name's Norton, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're wrapping up a four-week series, Um, and what we've been walking through is a series called uh, When People Collide, and we've been talking about what it looks like when we collide with other people in our lives, and we go through conflict with other people in our lives. In the very first week, we read something by Jesus where he said, um, if there's a conflict between you and another person, and it's been undealt with, you need to go and deal with it. You need to drop everything else. This is the most important thing. So even if you're in church, leave church. Even if you're praying to God or you're offering something to God, just leave it right there and go deal with this conflict with this other person. That's more important. And he didn't just say go deal with it. He said go and be reconciled to that other person. And we've read some things that Paul had to say about this as well. He would over and over say, yeah, that's really important. Being reconciled to other people, making peace with other people. In fact, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone else in your life. And I don't know about you, but this has been... Uh, challenging and convicting for me over the last several weeks. I've had some things uh, happen with some other people, and I've, I've wanted to ignore them. And I felt like, Man, I can't ignore it. I'm preaching a series on this, right? Like I have to deal with this. So you just need to know that. This is just as challenging and convicting for me as it is for potentially anyone else. But we've been talking through what it looks like to see those conflicts in our lives and then go and be reconciled to other people. And today I wanna wrap up and give you some really practical steps. How do you go meet with someone and walk through a process of reconciling with someone when there's something that's broken the relationship? And I'm going to give you seven really practical steps. And I never do this, I never make like a long list and kind of, but we're going to do that today because I felt like it was the easiest way to do it. But I just want to say before we even get to those, if you're brand new or you're just jumping in and you haven't been here the last few weeks, you need to go back and listen to those sermons because we've talked about a lot of stuff leading up to this. And I don't think you can really walk through what we're going to say today. Until you adopt the perspective that we talked about last week, and you ask the questions that we discussed two weeks ago, and you really see the need for all of it that we talked about uh, three weeks ago. So um, go back and listen to those things, because if you just try to jump in and do reconciliation, do some of the things I mentioned today, without really stepping back and thinking through some of that groundwork first, um, then it might not go very well. So with all of that in mind, um, we're going to walk through seven steps. And uh, first, and and I want to encourage you to write these down. You've all got paper, hopefully, or something that you can jot these down. And before we get into the seven steps, I want you to write down two passages from the Bible at the very top. Matthew 18, 15 through 35, and Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. We're not going to have time to read these entire passages today, but these are specific passages in Matthew where Jesus says, here's what to do when you need to reconcile with someone. And then in Ephesians, Paul talks about this a bunch, but this is one of those passages where he also says, here's some specific things I want you to do. Um, So I'm going to jump into some of those, but for the most part, I'm just going to focus on the seven steps. And most of these steps come from these passages as well as some others Um, In the Bible. So let's jump in. Step number one, deal with conflict quickly when it comes up. Deal with it quickly when it comes up. Now that seems obvious, um, but it's not because most of us don't deal with it quickly. Most of us avoid it, right? Uh, Most of us don't deal with it, but look at what Jesus and Paul both say. This is from Matthew first. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault. And then Paul says, speak truthfully to your neighbor. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Super simple, right? If somebody sins against you, somebody says something, somebody does something to hurt your feelings, to hurt you in some way, someone uh, or something happens and it makes you upset or angry in any form or fashion in the smallest amount, Paul says, don't go to bed that night still angry. Don't lay your head down on the pillow. If there's the smallest bit of anger and frustration in your heart, you need to deal with it. So the first step is really simple. Just deal with the conflict when it comes up. And more often than not, that needs to be the same day. That that should be the pattern. That should be the rule. That should be the standard. When there's a conflict, we deal with it the same day. Now, are there exceptions to the rule? Yeah, yeah, there probably are. Sometimes we're really angry or so frustrated or something's been so bad that we are just in a place where we can't process it, where we would probably say something we don't mean or say something we regret, and we just have so many emotions boiling that maybe the best thing to do is to step back and to cool off and to, and to get to a place where you can talk or deal with it with someone else. Maybe it's not practical, to meet with someone or talk to someone that day. Maybe it's the end of the day. Maybe it's not until tomorrow that you can talk to them. Maybe it's not for a couple days. Maybe they're gone. But maybe you you touch base with them and you say, hey, this thing happened and we need to deal with it. And I know we can't deal with it today, but can we set a time to meet Wednesday morning? And actually, that'll give us both some time to think through what happened and let's sit down and talk through what went on. But the general rule and the wisdom is Deal with it sooner rather than later because our default is going to be to ignore it. Our default is going to be to procrastinate. Our default is to think, well, it's not that big of a deal, right? It wasn't that big of a deal. We don't need to bring it up. I don't want to turn a molehill right into a mountain, right? Let's just let it go. And oftentimes we'll let it go. And time will help, and we'll kind of forget about it. Maybe it wasn't that big of a deal, but then the next time they do something, it's kind of the same thing, and then you let it go, and then the next time you do something. And what we usually end up doing is we take all of those things And we save them in a folder with that person's name on it, right? Not a physical folder, but in our heart, we have folders with everybody's name on it. And and some people's folders gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And have you ever had those issues with somebody where suddenly out of the blue, they just totally blow up at you and they bring up all this stuff that you've been doing over the last six months. And you say, "Whoa, whoa, why didn't you tell me that? Like I didn't even know. Like I don't understand why it's like you've been hanging on to all the stuff until it gets to this place where it's now it's a really big deal and now we have to walk through and untangle a whole lot of stuff and it would have been so much better if along the way and I know you thought all those were really small things but it would have been so much better if we had dealt with it along the way. And that's why step 1 is simple. When conflict comes up, deal with it quickly. Here's step two. Talk to them one-on-one, face-to-face. Go talk to them one-on-one, face-to-face, which means um, you don't go talk to other people first. Uh, Jesus did not say, when someone sins against you, go and talk to all their friends about it, right? He said, go and talk to them. And the key word here is actually the word talk. You go talk to them. I don't send a really angry email to them. I don't send a text to them. We don't work through this over email or text, which is really hard because I'm tempted to think, you know what, I could probably articulate all of my feelings and all the things that they did wrong way better in a long outline with nine different points, you know, and walk through it in an email. I tend to think that. Or maybe your default communication is text, right? Some of us have just grown up and that's how we communicate with others. That's the way we communicate everything is through texting and that's fine and that can be really convenient and texting is a great form of communication for passing along simple information to other people. It is a horrible method for navigating through conflict. And so it requires intentionality for us to step back and say, yes, I would maybe prefer to just deal with this over email because then I don't have to face them. Or yes, I would prefer to just send them a text because it's a whole lot harder to actually have to meet them. But it requires some intentionality to step back and some courage to say, I don't really want to face them face to face. And I don't really want to talk through this because then I might say, but that's going to be way better. That's going to be way healthier. I need to go actually meet with this person. If there's any emotion, if there's any negativity, if there's anything that's boiling underneath the service, I can't communicate that via text or via email. So I'm gonna go meet with them in person. And sometimes maybe in person isn't possible and so you call them on the phone. Probably not as good as in person, but way better than texting or emailing. But that's step two. I'm gonna talk to them one-on-one face to face. All right, here's step three. Uh, Remember who the real enemy is. Remember who the real enemy is. Uh, This is big because the temptation whenever you have a conflict with someone else or I have a conflict with someone else is to think that they are the enemy. After all, they're the person that hurt you. They're the person that took credit for something that you should have gotten credit for. They're the person that lied or that deceived you or that stabbed you in the back or said something that was mean. They're the person, and so I don't know about you, but whenever I do work up the courage to actually confront someone or meet with them, as I'm driving to or going to that meeting, you know what I do? It's like I go into battle mode. And I just, I start thinking about all the things that I'm going to say, right? And I start thinking about all the blows that I'm going to land. And I start thinking about how I'm going to get these gloves on. And defend myself, right? And if they say this, and I'm going to say that. And if they say this, and then I'm going to tell them that they did this. And when they really said this. I haven't even got like the knockout blow all in my mind. Because it's like we're going into a battle. But they're not the real enemy. That's not who we're battling against. Look at what Paul says. This is from Ephesians again. He says, do not let the sun go down while you're angry and do not give the devil a foothold. See, Paul knows the reason it's important to deal with our conflict is because if you don't deal with your conflict and you don't deal with your anger, you give the devil a foothold in your heart. And talking about the devil or this word Satan is sometimes strange. In the ancient world, it was just accepted that there was this, this actual person, this, this, this figure that, that was uh, against God and against his purposes and against his people in the world, right? And today, sometimes maybe we read those passages and, and maybe you think, well, I don't know that he's an actual person with like horns and all those kind of things, but that whenever I see devil or Satan, maybe that's just the personification of evil, Maybe it's the personification of temptation or of all the things that might want to hurt us. I don't think it matters so much how you think about it, but to use Paul's language, we do have an enemy, but the enemy is not the other person. In fact, when we view that other person as the enemy, that's exactly what our true enemy wants. He wants us to stay mad at the other person. He wants us to go into battle mode. He wants us to think about the punches we're gonna land. He wants us to hurt them in the same way that they hurt us. He wants us to make them pay. He wants us not to resolve the conflict. He wants us to get more angry and for our anger to eventually turn into resentment and bitterness and malice and rage. In fact, Paul will go on in this passage in Ephesians to say that's what anger eventually turns into when it's not dealt with, that's what happens when you see the other person as the enemy. And Paul just wants to say, no, 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 they're not the enemy. He's not the enemy. She's not the enemy. Yeah, they hurt you, and maybe you did some things to hurt them, and yeah, it has to be dealt with, but they are not the enemy. And as long as you see them as the enemy, then the true enemy is going to win. So step three is to remember who is my true enemy here? Is it him or is it her? Or is it someone who doesn't actually want us to experience reconciliation and healing? So that's step number three. Here's step number four. <clears throat> Watch your words. Watch your words. So you get to the meeting, right? And you, you, you see that person and, and you start talking about what happened. And at this point, we wanna say, okay, Jesus, what do we actually say? Like, how do we walk through this? What are the actual words? And Jesus doesn't tell us. And Paul doesn't tell us. He doesn't say, here's the formula. Here's who needs to talk first, and here's what they need to say, and here's who needs to talk second. And, here. and that's because I think Jesus and Paul both know there is no formula. Every conflict is different. Every situation is different, and it's messy, and it's complex, and there's no easy or simple way to simply walk through it. But as you walk through it, you do need to know and understand the power of the words that you use. So, in a second, I'll give you some suggestions about words that you might use. But look at what Paul says about the power of our words. He says this in Ephesians again do not let any unwholesome talk, and you might have heard this before, but never known it was in this context. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, be really, really careful whenever you open your mouth. Whatever words you use, make sure they're words that are helpful. Make sure they're words that are beneficial. Make sure they're words that actually honor the other person and don't treat them like an enemy. Make sure they're words that move the conversation forward. Make sure they're words that at the end of the day will be of some benefit to the person you're talking to. But that's really hard, especially when you're in battle mode, right? You're not thinking about that. You're thinking about how can I use my words to hurt them? And that's where we see the power of words. Words can hurt and words can heal. And it's almost like, I want to give you another picture, Um, it's almost like when you walk into a conversation or conflict, it's like a fire has has sort of uh, sprung up or blown up, and as you walk into that fire, you walk in with two cans. (laughs) Right? And these are what your words can do, and you can either pour more gasoline on it with your words, and you can make things worse, or you can pour water on it you can begin to put the fire out. And that's the power of our words. Every single time we walk into a difficult conversation, every single time we walk into a conflict with someone else, what's it gonna be? What kind of words are you gonna use? Are they gonna be words that make things worse? Or are they gonna be words that potentially heal? Huh. There's all kinds of words we might use. Let me just give you a few suggestions. Use words that communicate emotions about you, not opinions about them. It's a lot more helpful. In other words, instead of saying, Well, here's what I think you meant, or here's what you did, or here's why you did it, just say, Here's how I felt. Here's how I felt. Uh, Use words that acknowledge their emotions and acknowledge their perspective. So after you share your emotions, you ask them, Well, what are your emotions? how did you feel? What's your perspective on this? And then you can acknowledge those. You can say, I, I, I now see that, yeah, you felt those things and that you had a different perspective. Use words that tell the whole truth, not half the truth. It's easy to tell half truths, right? But that doesn't help. That just makes the fire worse. Use words that tell the whole truth. And then finally, use these specific words. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? You see, at some point, we own our part. And we almost always, 99% of the time, have a part to own. And at that point, we can u- you can use these words verbatim, right? You don't have to make them your own, right? You can use these exact words. I'm Sorry. Will you forgive me? So that's step four watch your words. Step five give grace and forgiveness. Give grace and forgiveness. Uh, Jesus talks about this at length in Matthew 18. We're not gonna read it. You can go home and read it, but as they're talking about conflict, Jesus brings up this idea and he talks about forgiving and then he tells this whole long story about it and the whole discussion about conflict with other people ends with Jesus talking about the role of forgiveness. And then Paul says this in Ephesians. He ends by saying this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Look, one of the hardest things to do in conversations like this is come to the place where you own your part, you admit you're wrong, you say, I'm sorry, and you ask them to forgive you. But maybe one of the harder things to do is to then turn around and give that forgiveness to the other person. And you'll have to choose that. You have to choose to give grace and forgiveness to the other person because it won't come naturally, right? That's not what you really want to give them. You want to give them what you think they deserve. And you don't give grace and forgiveness because they deserve it. You don't give grace and forgiveness because their apology was so heartfelt. You don't give grace and forgiveness because they promised to never do it again and then they've demonstrated they actually won't ever do it again because they probably will do it again. You simply give grace and forgiveness, Paul says, because that's what God gave to you. Now, this brings up all kinds of questions. Well, what if they haven't acknowledged that what they did was wrong? What if they don't ask for forgiveness? Well, that makes it really hard. But you know what? I think you still forgive. God didn't wait for us to acknowledge what we did was wrong until he offered forgiveness for us. Jesus is dying on the cross and he's praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, God gave us the gift of grace and forgiveness and that's what grace is. We did this series last year on Galatians where Paul uses this word grace in the Greek. It's the word charis. And remember, we talked about that over and over. It really just means gift. And so it's as if, I've got all kinds of props today. Um, It's as if God has given us this gift. And he says, no, really, here's the gift. It's the gift of my grace and my forgiveness. And my part is simply giving it to you. But he doesn't wait for us to come begging for it before he gives it to us. He gives it to us before we even ask for it. And that's his part. And he gives it to us and he puts it right there. He says, now, your part is whether you want to accept it or not. That's up to you. But God has done his part. And he doesn't wait for you to ask for it. He gives us forgiveness before we even acknowledge that we need it. And so we turn around and we do the same thing. Even if they haven't acknowledged it, how can we give forgiveness and grace to others? And you might say, well, if I do that, isn't it just letting them off the hook? Isn't it just acting as if what they did, they didn't actually do? No, not at all. In fact, part of the reconciliation process is saying, this is what happened. This is the wrong that was done. This is the wrong that you did to me. This is the wrong that I did to you. This is your part. This is my part. You have to name the wrong in order to give forgiveness. And so you name the wrong and then you give In fact, in the very process of giving grace and forgiveness to someone, you're saying this thing was wrong and it created a debt between us, but I am now canceling that debt. I'm letting go of it. I'm not gonna hold it over your head anymore. I'm not gonna hold it against you anymore. I'm not gonna keep bringing this up in future conversations. It's done. It's gone. Which brings up one more question. When you do that, does that mean you forget about what they did? Ideally, yeah. Yeah, in God's kingdom, yes. Yes. I love the Psalms. They say that God remembers our sin no more. That doesn't mean God suddenly gets amnesia, right? It just means, I mean, God still knows what we did. He just chooses not to remember it any more. Now, in real life, that's really hard. In fact, that's almost unrealistic for most of us this side of heaven because we have scars, we have reminders, we have doubts, we have fears that they're gonna treat us that way again or they're gonna do that again. But if we're serious about grace and forgiveness, then we'll continually pray to God, God, would you give me the ability and would you give me the power to fully, more and more, give grace and forgiveness to other people in the same way that you gave it to me. If we're serious about grace and forgiveness. We'll give it to other people. And if we're serious about reconciliation, we won't skip this step. In fact, this step is essential. There is no reconciliation without grace and forgiveness. We have to receive it and we have to be bearers of it. So you would think that would be the last step, right? Well, we just kind of give grace, we give reconciliation, we give forgiveness, and we move on. Everything's great, but it's not the last step because reconciliation is messy. So here's step six, involve others when necessary. Look at what Jesus says. This is from Matthew 18. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, which in Jewish society basically meant shun them. So there's a process here. Now, before we focus on that last sort of phrase, because that's where we get focused on, because it seems so harsh. Don't miss the process. Jesus is saying, you go deal with it specifically with them. Like first, you just talk to them. Which, by the way, sometimes people come and they'll share with me things about something that somebody has done to them, whether even as a pastor or just as a friend. And my first question is always, have you talked to them about it? Don't involve me. Like, I have no role or place in this unless you've talked to them first. You have to go deal. I mean, that's what Jesus says. You go talk to them first. And so you go talk to them, and if, if you work things out and everything gets resolved, then everything is good. And you're able to say, hey, I've won them over, which just means you've won them back. You've reconciled to them. But Jesus then basically says, look, if that doesn't work, then take one or two other people with you. You go meet with them a second time, and you take some friends with you. And the implication is these are people that probably know both of you. These are people that might be able to help the situation. These are people that might be able to provide a a third-party perspective. Maybe this is a counselor. Maybe this is somebody who can help you, you guys work through things. And if that doesn't work, then Jesus says, well, then you tell it to the church. And this might be a bit hard to understand because back then they didn't have churches. This is before any of that happened. They didn't have churches the way we have churches. So Jesus isn't saying like on a Sunday morning during the service, come up front and make an announcement that Brian has offended me and I've tried and so I'm telling it to everybody. Like that's not what Jesus is saying. Back then the word church in Greek just meant a gathering of people or a community of people, the community of faith. And so essentially what Jesus is saying is if you've tried with one person and then you've tried with more people and it's getting worse and worse and this person just won't be reconciled to you and the implication is you've owned your part and you've done your apologizing and you've offered your forgiveness and you've done everything you can but they're not owning their part and they're stubborn and they're hard of heart and things are getting worse and starting to now poison not just your relationship with them but your relationship with everyone else in the community then you need to involve the entire community. They need to come together and we need to come together and say this is gonna split all of us apart. We have to figure out how to deal with this conflict. To which Jesus says, and sometimes if that doesn't work, well then maybe that person needs to be removed from the community and that sounds so harsh but there's a sense of they have become or this conflict has become so toxic that something needs to be done. Now again, we focus so much on that part but don't miss the bigger picture of what Jesus is saying. He's saying reconciliation is so important. You don't ever give up. You keep working and you keep trying and you meet with them. And if that doesn't work, you bring other people and then you bring other people and then you make it a community issue and you just keep persevering and doing everything you can. As far as it depends on you, you're pursuing reconciliation. And if you need to, when it becomes necessary, you involve other people. There's one more step final step. Move forward with wisdom. Move forward with wisdom. Uh, Giving grace and forgiveness doesn't mean that there's not some things that maybe need to change or need to happen moving forward. Sometimes restitution should be made. If I took something from you and in the process of reconciling and dealing with a conflict, you say, you stole this from me and, and I forgive you for it. You've apologized and I forgive you for it. I might say, thank you so much for forgiving me, but I still think I need to pay you back what you stole, what I stole from you. And maybe I just need to work really hard over the next two months and pay you back not just what I stole, but 10 or 20% more to demonstrate how thankful I am for the forgiveness and to demonstrate my level of contrition towards you, to demonstrate what I'm willing to do to repair the relationship. So sometimes restitution needs to be made and you need wisdom to work through what that looks like and how to walk through that, what to ask for and what to offer. Sometimes consequences need to be dealt with, right? Sometimes there's decisions that still need to be made. Sometimes things still have to happen and you have to move through those with wisdom. Sometimes a relationship needs to change in light of a conflict, right? You can pursue peace and forgiveness with someone and you can offer forgiveness and and you can try to remove the anger and the bitterness from your heart, but maybe the relationship needs to change moving forward. Maybe you need to set some boundaries. Maybe you need to take a step back. Maybe this is the fifth time that they've hurt you. And maybe you need to step back in order to see some things differently. Maybe they have become so toxic or maybe something in the relationship has become so toxic that you need to decide that with wisdom, we need to change something moving forward. So that's the final step. How do we need to move forward from this with wisdom? So there you go. Seven steps to the perfect relationship. Right? (laughs) Right? Not really. (laughs) Reconciling is hard. But I think reconciling is necessary. And we don't really have time to talk about this. I think reconciling is one of the most important ways that God works in our lives. To grow us and to stretch our faith and to stretch our understanding of the very grace and forgiveness that he offers And gives to us. So let me close by praying for each one of us in this room that we might be reconcilers this week. God, I pray that as we walk through difficult situations where we want to do battle, where we want to use words that hurt, (laughs) where it's tempting to ignore the conflict. God, I pray um, that even as we've been talking, I'm guessing for some of us in the room, some specific people, specific names, specific conflicts have come to mind. And so I would ask that you would give each of us boldness and courage this week to be the kind of reconcilers you've called us to be. God, we are your children, we're your sons and daughters and we wanna reflect the love and the grace that you've given to each one of us and it's so hard to do that. So we need your help. We need you to give us the power to do that. I pray this in your name, amen.